you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. The popular quote from C.S. Lewis is often used but rarely explored. Reading fairy tales as adults allow us to shift our perspective, opens up our minds to other possibilities, and connects us with our most authentic self. Whenever I read these stories, I remember who I was when I first read them, how they made me feel, and the lessons I learned. And they continue to teach me by reminding me of who I always wanted to be. A few years ago, a thought occurred to me. If I wanted a magical life, one without feeling the monotony of every day, one that doesn't look like a cookie-cutter picture of someone else's dreams, I had to create it. I needed to build it from the ground up. That discovery led me to this podcast and so many other positive life changes. I needed to look for signs, for tiny miracles, for joy, and for stories in all the ordinary places, which fairy tales teach us to do. And they connect us with our past. Humanity hasn't changed. People are still people, which make these stories timeless and perpetually relevant. Perhaps no other story has been retold more than Cinderella. Her rags-to-riches fable is appealing for its surface moral, but when we dig deeper, the tale has more to say. And depending on the version, her character ranges from independent and strong-willed to even murderous. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. Because many of us are not familiar with the Brothers Grimm version, I'll be sharing it today. The wife of a rich man fell sick, and when she felt that her end drew nigh, she called her only daughter to her bedside and said, Always be a good girl, and I will look down from heaven and watch over you. Soon afterwards, she shut her eyes and died, and was buried in the garden. And the little girl went every day to her grave and wept, and was always good and kind to all around her. And the snow spread a beautiful white covering over the grave. But by the time the sun had melted it away again, her father had married another wife. This new wife had two daughters of her own. They were fair in face, but foul at heart. And it was now a sorry time for the poor little girl. What does the good-for-nothing thing want in the parlor, said they, and they took away her fine clothes and gave her an old frock to put on and laughed at her and turned her into the kitchen. Then she was forced to do hard work, to rise early before daylight, to bring the water, to make the fire, to cook and to wash. She had no bed to lie down on, but was made to lie by the hearth among the ashes, and they called her Cinderella. It happened once that her father was going to the fair and asked his wife's daughters what he could bring to them. Fine clothes, said the first, 
pearls and diamonds, said the second. Now, child, said he to his own daughter, what will you have? The first sprig, dear father, that rubs against your hat on your way home, said she. Then he bought for the two first the fine clothes and pearls and diamonds they had asked for, and on his way home, as he rode through a green forest, a sprig of hazel brushed against him, so he broke it off, and when he got home he gave it to his daughter. Then she took it and went to her mother's grave and planted it there, and cried so much that it was watered with her tears. And there it grew and became a fine tree, and soon a little bird came and built its nest upon the tree, and talked with her, and watched over her, and brought her whatever she wished for. Now it happened that the king of the land held a feast, which was to last three days. And out of those who came to it, his son was to choose a bride for himself. And Cinderella's two sisters were asked to come. So they called Cinderella and said, Now comb our hair, brush our shoes, and tie our sashes for us, for we are going to dance at the king's feast. Then she did as she was told. But when all was done, she could not help crying, for she thought to herself she would have liked to go to the dance too. And at last she begged her mother very hard to let her go. You, Cinderella, she said, you who have nothing to wear, no clothes at all, and who cannot even dance, you want to go to the ball? And when she kept on begging to get rid of her, she said at last, I will throw this basin full of peas into the ash heap, and if you have picked them all out in two hours' time, you shall go to the feast too. Then she threw the peas into the ashes, but the little maiden ran out the back door into the garden and cried out, Hither, thither, through the sky, turtle doves and linnets fly, blackbird thrush and chavinch gay, hither, thither, haste away, one and all, come, help me quick, Haste ye, haste ye, pick, pick, pick. Then first came two white doves, and the next two turtle doves, and after them all the little birds under heaven came, and the little doves stooped their heads down and set to work, pick, pick, pick. And then the others began to pick, 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 and picked out all the good grain and put it into the dish, and left the ashes. At the end of one hour the work was done, and all flew out again at the windows. Then she brought the dish to her mother, but the mother said, No, no, indeed. You have no clothes and cannot dance. You shall not go. And when Cinderella begged very hard to go, she said, If you can, in one hour's time, pick two of these dishes of peas out of the ashes, you shall go too. So she shook two dishes of peas into the ashes, but the little maiden went out into the garden at the back of the house and called as before, and all the birds came flying, and in half an hour's time all was done, and out they flew again. And then Cinderella took the dishes to her mother, rejoicing to think that she should go to the ball now. But her mother said, It is all of no use, you cannot go. You have no clothes, and you cannot dance, and you would only put us to shame. And off she went with her two daughters to the feast. Now when all were gone, and nobody left at home, Cinderella went sorrowfully and sat down under the hazel tree and cried out, Shake, shake, hazel tree, gold and silver over me. 
Then her friend the bird flew out of the tree and brought a gold and silver dress for her and slippers of spangled silk. And she put them on and followed her sisters to the feast, but they did not know her. She looked so fine and beautiful in her rich clothes. The king's son soon came up to her and took her by the hand and danced with her and no one else. He never left her hand. But when anyone else came to ask her to dance, he said, This lady is dancing with me. Thus they danced till a late hour of the night, and then she wanted to go home. And the king's son said, I shall go and take care of you to your home. For he wanted to see where the beautiful maid lived, but she slipped away from him unaware and ran off toward home, and the prince followed her. Then she jumped up into the pigeon house and shut the door. So he waited till her father came home and told him that the unknown maiden who had been at the feast had hidden herself in the pigeon house. But when they had broke open the door, they found no one inside. And as they came back into the house, Cinderella lay, as she always did, in her dirty frock by the ashes. For she had run as quickly as she could through the pigeon house and onto the hazel tree and had there taken off her beautiful clothes and laid them beneath the tree, that the bird might carry them away, and had seated herself amid the ashes again in her little old frock. The next day when the feast was held again, and her father, mother, and sisters were gone, Cinderella went to the hazel tree and all happened as the evening before. The king's son, who was waiting for her, took her by the hand and danced with her, and when anyone asked her to dance, He said as before, This lady is dancing with me. When night came, she wanted to go home, and the king's son went with her, but she sprang away from him all at once into the garden behind her father's house. In this garden stood a fine, large pear tree, and Cinderella jumped up into it without being seen. Then the king's son waited till her father came home and said to him, The unknown lady has slipped away and I think she must have sprung into the pear tree. The father ordered an axe to be brought, and they cut down the tree, but found no one upon it. And when they came back into the kitchen, there lay Cinderella in the ashes as usual, for she had slipped down onto the other side of the tree and carried her beautiful clothes back to the bird at the hazel tree and then put on her old frock. The third day, when her father and mother and sisters were gone, she went again into the garden and said, Shake, shake, hazel tree, gold and silver over me. Then her kind friend, the bird, brought a dress still finer than the former one, and slippers which were all of gold. And the king's son danced with her alone. And when anyone asked her to dance, he said, This lady is my partner. Now when night came and she wanted to go home, and the king's son would go with her, but she managed to slip away from him, though in such a hurry that she dropped her golden slipper upon the stairs. So the prince took the shoe and went the next day to the king, his father, and said, I will take for my wife the lady that this golden shoe fits. Then both the sisters were overjoyed to hear this, for they had beautiful feet and had no doubt they could wear the golden slipper. The eldest went first into the room where the slipper was and wanted to try it on, and the mother stood by, but her big toe could not fit into it, and the shoe was altogether much too small for her. 
Then the mother said, Never mind, cut it off. When you are queen, you will not care about toes. You'll never need to go on foot. So the silly girl cut off her big toe and squeezed the shoe on and went to the king's son. Then he took her for his bride and rode away with her. But on their way home, they had to pass by the hazel tree that Cinderella had planted. And there sat a little dove on the branch singing, Back again, back again, look at that shoe. The shoe is too small, not made for you. Prince, prince, look again for thy bride, for she's not the true one that sits by thy side. Then the prince looked at her foot and saw by the blood that streamed from it what a trick she had played on him. So he brought the false bride back to her home and said, This is not the right bride. Let the other sister try and put on the slipper. Then she went into the room and got her foot into the shoe, all but the heel, which was too large. But her mother squeezed it until the blood came and took her to the king's son, and he rode away with her. But when they came to the hazel tree, the little dove sat there still and sang as before. Then the king's son looked down and saw the blood streaming from the shoe, so he brought her back again also. This is not the true bride, said he to the father. Have you no other daughters? Then Cinderella came, and she took her clumsy shoe off and put on the golden slipper, and it fit just as it had been made for her. And when he drew near and looked at her face, the prince knew her and said, This is the right bride. Then he took Cinderella on his horse and rode away. And when they came to the hazel tree, the white dove sang, Prince, prince, take home thy bride, for she is the true one that sits by thy side. The Brothers Grimm have a much more violent version of Cinderella than others. The brothers describe the bloody experience of the sisters trying to cut off their heels and toes to fit into the slipper, and even the wonderful Cinderella isn't as passive as one may remember. She's not our traditional princess. But the brothers paint her as a hard-working, beautiful, rags-to-riches young woman and it's through her work ethic that she finds favor and lands her prince. Fairy tales often have two mothers, the dead mother who is alive through nature and spirit, and the evil stepmother who plagues the protagonists. The stepmother and step-siblings in fairy tales provide a safe shelter for the negativity children sometimes feel toward their parents and their brothers and sisters. The stepmother and sisters all value beautiful things, and vanity is among a cardinal sin in fairy tales. It's Cinderella's modesty and love that makes her different from the other women in her life. Instead of asking for beautiful things, she asks for something that has touched her father, believing that anything close to him is valuable. The tree in the story represents time and seasons. A great deal of time stretches between when she first planted the twig and the maturation of it. In that time, she must struggle through the abuse given to her by her entire family. Instead of finding value in things like her stepsisters do, she chooses to turn to nature for beauty and for peace. Nature responds to that by gifting her 
with a giving tree? Is her tears that make the dress and shoes sparkle, much as it's our struggles that make us beautiful, unique, and wholly complete? Nature in many versions of the story is a representation of Cinderella's dead mother. The connection between her mother's spirit and nature becomes the magic that allows her to overcome her circumstances. Unlike Charles Perrault's version, Cinderella doesn't rely on a fairy godmother. Instead, she seeks out the tree. She's been cultivating the tree for years, slowly helping it mature, meaning that we can't grow anything good overnight. It takes lots of sowing for an eventual reaping. The brothers Cinderella is a woman who needs no help. When she leaves the ball, there isn't a coach and coachman there to ride her into the night. There's no time limit given by a fairy godmother for her to return. She goes and comes on her own free will. Only nature, the tree and the bird, offer her assistance, and that's because she's been so grateful to them all those years. In their version of the story, the shoe isn't glass, but gold, neither of which can be stretched by feet that don't belong. Her running from the prince three times is a pattern in children's stories, the three challenges one must overcome. In Cinderella, there's a sense that she wants the prince to choose her for her true self and not the richly adorned version of herself that he sees. She needs to truly be known, as we all do. In 1697, Charles Perrault published Tales of Mother Goose and shared the little glass slipper, which inspired the Disney version of Cinderella. In contrast to the Brothers Grimm version, his heroine is kinder, offering forgiveness to her family by inviting the stepsisters to live with her in the castle afterward. He also included the fairy godmother and magical assistance to help Cinderella win her prince. But she's much less independent and strong in this version, which is why I've always preferred the Grimm's version a bit more. Strabo's ancient tale about a lovely courtesan named Rhodopis, meaning rosy cheeks, is the earliest known variant of Cinderella. In it, an eagle steals the young maiden's sandal while she's bathing, and then the eagle flies far and drops the shoe on Pharaoh, who searches all of Egypt for the woman who fits the shoe and once he finds her, the two are married. Though Strabo's account is considered by many as the earliest variant, the story of Ye Shin is sometimes cited to be the first true Cinderella figure. The story was recorded in China in 850 AD. In the story, Ye Shin wears a dress of feathers and has small gold shoes. Like the Cinderella we all know, she is forced to live a life of chores living a form of household hell at the hands of her stepmother and stepsisters. A fish comes to her and the two become friends. It gives her gold, food, dresses, and jewelry. Unfortunately, the stepmother, not wanting her to have any of those things, takes the fish and cooks it. Yeshin saves the bones and whispers her wishes to them. When the festival comes along, she wishes to go but leaves behind one of her small golden shoes. She is found by the king, and the two are married. Her evil stepmother and stepsisters eventually go to live in a cave and are later killed by falling stones. 
Unlike our other fair maidens, written in 1634, Giambattista Basile's Zazola is a murderer. In the story called The Cat Cinderella, Zazola is encouraged by her governess to kill her stepmother. Her governess encourages this because she wants to marry Zazola's father. She talks her father into marrying her governess after she slams her stepmother's head into a trunk. But it turns out her governess is worse than her previous stepmother. One day after her father goes on a trip, he brings her back a magical date tree. The date tree then one day sprouts a fairy who grants her wishes. She asks the tree for a gorgeous dress for a feast day celebration. While there, she meets the local king and ends up marrying him. In this version, we see an altogether manipulative version of Cinderella. She certainly isn't the passive princess we've all grown up knowing. Cinderella is one of the most famous fairy tales of all time, and it's been modernized and retold too many times to count. One newly trendy spin on it has been Cinderfella, where it's the man who goes from rags to riches or marries a wealthy, beautiful woman who helps change his circumstances. Many of the common threads seen in the story and themes are animal assistance, such as with the birds in the story we read today, the theme of wealth and rags to riches, a supernatural element such as the fairy godmother or the giving tree, and good versus evil. Another strong theme of the story is described in Bruno Bettelheim's Uses of Enchantment. Bettelheim connects the attractiveness and beauty associated with the Chinese tradition of footbinding. To some, the story is more about a fetish than a story of hope, despite hope being the dominant feeling of the tale. He goes on to further explain how the tribulations of Cinderella and extreme sibling rivalry are incredibly relatable to a child, saying, quote, when a story corresponds to how the child feels deep down, as no realistic narrative is likely to do, it attains an emotional quality of truth for the child. The events of Cinderella offer him vivid images and give body to his overwhelming but nevertheless often vague and nondescript emotions, so these episodes seem more convincing to him than his own life experiences." End quote. The source of this sibling rivalry is the deep desire for the child to connect with their parents, always wanting to win their favor over their other siblings. Our inner desire for approval is undeniable, even as children. Switching gears a bit. An interesting debate has emerged because of the possible mistranslation of Charles Perrault's version. Could the glass slipper really have been made of squirrel fur instead? The French word for glass is ver, V-E-R-R-E, and the word for fur is ver, V-A-I-R. Since the two are so similar, a mistake could be understandable. What makes the difference so significant is that the prince testing the shoes of fur refers to the medieval European practice of the Lord's right, or the right of the first knight. This right allowed feudal lords to have sex with subordinate women on their wedding nights. Many claim this is a myth, and some scholars say the medieval marriage fine was payment, so the lord wouldn't commit the act. This supposed right has been mentioned many times throughout history, 
by artists like Shakespeare, Voltaire, Mozart, and Sir Walter Scott, but it's still unclear as to if it were ever put into practice. Cinderella is usually portrayed as a hard-working and kind person throughout the various versions of the story, with the cat Cinderella as an exception. She's a woman who overcomes her circumstances, not through evil, but through kindness and authenticity to herself. It wasn't her love of the prince that saved her. Rather, it was her love of nature that became her salvation. But even her happily ever after, we know, will be riddled with challenges and more chapters full of evils to overcome, just like in our own stories. Fairy tales tap into the unconscious part of our minds. They touch areas we aren't aware they reach. At first glance, Cinderella isn't a story of sibling rivalry and relationship between one's parents. It's simply a tale about a girl who, through hard work and kindness, finds favor. It's the happily ever after we all dream about. But fairy tales and all enduring stories are so much deeper than their surface. That's the magic of them. They speak words without saying them. And they aren't just for children. They're for all of us. No matter what age we are, we can relate to dreaming of wishes coming true, wanting to be rewarded for our hard work, and wanting bad people to be put in their place. Fairy tales, folklore, myths, and legends, they all do the same thing. They speak of the human condition and the belief that despite everything, all the bad that happens to us, in the end, good will conquer evil. Even more so, in days like the ones we're living, they can offer us great insight, and most importantly, hope. Produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with research assistance by Whitney Zahar, and music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. Fable Collective is working on our first anthology called Women of the Woods, which will be a collection of fiction stories about the lore, myths, and legends of women who dwell in the forest. If you're a writer, I'd love to read your story. See our website, fablecollective.com, for details. Fabled relies on the generosity of our listeners to continue to produce the podcast, books, and journal. If you'd like to become a patron, please visit patreon.com forward slash Fable Collective. Stay well, my friends. As always, thank you for listening. Ooh.